0: We're going through the hard time letter series today. We're in Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. That's our little little piece we'll navigate through, God willing. So beginning with verse 1, finally, isn't that interesting? We're not even in the last chapter. He says, finally, he's still got more to go, but he's wrapping it up and he's arrived at what he wants to say. And look at this. My brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Didn't he already say that? How many times you got to say that, Paul? Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. He keeps on doing it over and over again, joy upon joy. Now, Rhonda Burkhart's not in the room, right? Can I talk about her behind her back? Okay, so I want to, this idea of joy, a lot of times we think, you know, it has to do with singing. That's how you express joy, and it can but I think one of the more natural ways to do it is laughter. And I keep repeating this to you as well. Now, I didn't notice this until just this week in a phone conversation with Rhonda. And I was listening intently. I was driving and going through the Bluetooth thing. Don't worry, I'm doing it safely. But I'm listening intently because I hadn't, uh, there was a a problem. Her phone's messed up, and so it doesn't really work really well. But I'm listening intently, and as she's telling me something, I don't know if you noticed this about Rhonda, but sometimes when she's talking, she kind of giggles in between words. Anybody here notice that? Yeah. That is a fun way to converse. I mean, I, I don't think I could pull it off, but that is a, that demonstrates somebody who expresses joy just in her sentences as she's talking. And she, she, she represents joy really well. So listen carefully. Don't make fun of her. Don't, don't even highlight it if you don't want to. I'm doing it without her hearing it because I don't want her to change it. It was just fun. I'm listening to her intently, and she's making me chuckle because she's laughing as she's just telling a, an average story in my mind, but she's just full of joy. And Paul says, finally... Like he's got something he's finally going to tell us. He says the same thing. Rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Okay. Okay. He knew. He knew. God knew. We're going to hear rejoice, 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 joy upon joy over and over again in the book of Philippians. We're going to read it today, see it again, and we're told... It's no problem for this to be written multiple times for you. In fact, it's a safeguard for you. You need to hear it more than once. Have you heard of the rule of seven? It's a common thing in marketing. The rule of seven is an old marketing adage. I tried hard to find where it came from, and I couldn't. I just found a bunch of people that used it. The idea is that repetition is the key if you want someone to buy your product you've got to repeat several times. Seven in particular seems to be the magic number, but it varies depending on who you're listening to. Some people say that it takes 50 times of repetition for something to become a habit. Some say it only takes 17, and it's... Hard to figure out who the experts are in this, except for people who say they're experts. But I'm giving you a few things here. The rule of seven, it's a thing. It's a marketing thing. People talk about it quite a bit. And also with that is the 2190 rule, more abstract than the rule of seven. This came out in 1960 from a Dr. Maxwell Maltz. He was actually a plastic surgeon, uh, but he wrote a book called Psycho-Cybernetics. And in it, What he determined from his research was that it takes, when you want to make a change in life, a life change, you've got to stick to it, doing the same thing every day, this new thing for 21 days. And after you've done it for 21 days, it kind of becomes part of who you are. Then you need to stretch that out, do that for 21 days, and then go all the way to 90 days, if you can get it through the 90-day period of doing what you did for the 21 days, it will become a part of who you are. just becomes old hat. But psychology today, in uh, 2014, you can go ahead and click on spaces, spaced repetition, uh, said that what needs to happen if you want something to become a part of who you are If someone's going to teach it to you or you're going to teach it to yourself, you have to have spaced repetition. So you go over it and then you put some space and time and then you go over it again. It's one of those things people will make note cards and then look at it and then put it away and then look at it and then put it away. Uh, Those kinds of things. Those are just some ideas of the concept of repetition. You might hear the preacher say the same thing. You hear me talk about a lot of the same terms. You hear me talk about repent and neuroplasticity. You hear this kind of thing quite a bit. Uh, the cognitive behavioral therapy. Why is that? Because I want it to stick. It's something that won't stick if you, if you don't. Have you ever discovered something, like maybe it was a paper you wrote in college, uh, where you go back and you read and you think, man, I knew stuff. <laughs> you know? And like, I don't remember this, but I knew it then, it's because you didn't repeat it. You did it one time. You did a lot of research. You stayed up really late, multiple nights, read a lot of books, listened to a lot of experts, and you forgot. So if you want something to stick, it's a good idea to repeat. And what we are seeing here, right here in Scripture, and we'll see it again, the same passage, Philippians 3, 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. This is for our benefit to hear it over and over and over again. Why? Why in the world would God see that it is a need? Why would he know that today in our church, we would need to read this and point out that we're being told again and again so that it sticks? Why do we need to be told to rejoice? Is it possible that we're supposed to be reminded because if given to or for left to ourselves we will fall into a trap of the opposite. The doldrums, focusing on the negative and not rejoicing. Well, let's continue in our text. Look out for the dogs. Oh, my goodness. Here he is saying, rejoice and it doesn't hurt me and it's good for you to repeat this rejoice 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 have joy upon joy and then he then he just goes right into look out for the dogs and let me tell you how derogatory he intends this to be god inspired him to write this now we live in a world where people are a little bit nuts about their dogs now we have a dog and we love our dog our dog is the best dog we've ever had And we are so blessed. Uh, But there are people that love their dogs way more than everybody else. Uh, There are people that love their dogs so much that it goes with them everywhere they go and causes issues for other people. Um, But people love dogs. In our society, that's a thing. Back in Paul's day, not a thing. It's, It's... Maybe you have a cat lady in your neighborhood. Apologies to you if you are the cat lady. Uh, But um, cat ladies, you know what they are? The cat lady is the lady that feeds cats that just keep reproducing out there because somebody didn't have their cat fixed and it's outside and it's now reproducing and there's kittens everywhere all the time. And the cat lady just keeps feeding them so they all end up at this person's house. And that's the cat lady. You probably know a few. Well, dogs were like that in Paul's day, in that they just ran around, just ran all over the place. They weren't pets that people loved. They were creatures that got on everybody's nerves. It's not if you have a dog and your dog sits and watches you at the table while you're eating and it's it's obnoxious. Well, if you haven't figured it out, it's because you feed the dog at the table and it wants more. Maybe it's incidental, maybe you drop things accidentally, but the dog wants more. So these dogs that would just run around without owners, just running around all over the place, they were scavengers, constantly digging in trash and stretching it all over the place. And if people were eating, they were there, ready to grab whatever falls to the ground. And people were constantly trying to shoo away these dogs. People could not stand dogs. Dogs in the New Testament, when there is a reference to dogs, it's extremely derogatory and so when he says, watch out for those dogs, or watch out for the dogs, he's talking particularly about a specific group of people, and he's purposely being derogatory. Now, it's, it's, it's so weird. It's like a roller coaster. Have joy upon joy. I keep telling you, it's good for you. It's good for me to repeat it. Have joy upon joy. Watch out for the dogs. It's just big contrast. Who are the dogs? Well, he tells us. Look out for the evildoers. Now, I'm going to go ahead and give you a heads up. He's not talking about different people each time. He's actually talking about the same people. He's given different names so you understand how we need to watch out for these people. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. They are evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And Now we've got a little bit of an understanding, especially if you go into verse 3 a little bit, for we are the circumcision. Oh, do you see who he's talking about? Paul is talking about Jews. And he is one. He'll tell us more. But watch out. Look out for the dogs. He's, now, Jews of all people, were, they were the, some of the most, they were some of the people that couldn't stand the dogs the most, were the Jews. They referred to Gentiles as Dogs. And he's calling them dogs. And he's saying they're evildoers. And they're the ones going around that criticize Jesus, remember? They're also the ones that have rejected Paul. Paul was not just born a Jew, and he'll tell us more. In other texts, we learn that Paul was the top. Of his day, in his youth, in his prime, he was studying under the greatest teacher possibly of that day, and he was the greatest student. And he was going out doing tasks for the Jews. If you'll remember in the book of Acts, he was there helping murder Christians. And yet, when he became a Christian, he was so loyal to the Jews. When he became a Christian, he still went, just like Jesus, went in synagogues and taught. When he became a Christian, the Jews rejected him. They were very cruel to him. So you can understand he's got a little bit of a personal issue, but God inspired him to write this. What? Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And he's specifically talking about circumcision. That's what he's describing there. But it's symbolic of something else. For we are the circumcision, meaning we Christians who worship by the Spirit of God. Some trans not translations, but some translations do put this. But actually, in some ancient texts, it actually says, um, God in spirit. Doesn't matter. It kind of means the same thing. We worship God in spirit. We worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. So definitely talking about Christians and put no confidence in the flesh. Now, see, it's symbolic. It's not just about circumcision, but they don't put confidence in that. It has nothing to do with your salvation but it's bigger than just the flesh. It's talking about anything physical, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. And he's going to go into this, so we'll move on to the next part. Oh, I forgot. I need to talk to you about this guy. And This is a special week because this this week is when Dr. Paul Butler passed away a few years back. Now, Paul Butler, I want to give you a heads up about where we're going to go before we go into the next part where Paul illustrates how he has all the reasons to brag. But Dr. Paul Butler was a, a mentor of mine, and there's, he wrote many books. He's actually mentored a lot of people through his writings, many books, many studies. Uh, but Dr. Paul Butler, when I studied in class at Ozark Christian College under him, I didn't understand what he maybe understood. He at least understood how the mind is a greater thing than the brain is a f- very functional tool greater than I thought it could be. In his classes, he used overhead projectors. you remember those? Today he would be using PowerPoint, I'm sure. But in his classes, he used overhead projectors that were all written out in advance. Actually, they were typed out in advance. Some were handwritten, but most were typed out in advance. And as he lectured, we were expected to write down every word we saw on the overhead projector. And he did it at a pace that was slightly ahead of everybody. And as he would flip it, he would also walk around the room, and if he saw... Somebody wasn't going fast enough, he'd go right there, you know, speed it up. And he never missed a beat in talking. While he's lecturing, this whole time he's walking around the room, flipping these pages, while he's lecturing, the words he's saying are not the words that we're writing. In fact, many times they weren't even directly related, they were indirectly related. A lot of times he was giving us a lecture on support material when this is the main material. And we were tested on what we heard and what we wrote. And I can tell you, it wasn't until years later when I was looking back over my notes, I thought, man, this guy was brilliant. How did he know to stretch our minds like that? How how did he know that we could write down other words while listening to him lecture and still retain the words he's lecturing that aren't directly always connected to the words we were writing? He knew that our brains were greater than I knew our brains were. And he stretched me. He stretched me a lot. It was a, all of his classes. I took a lot of classes under him. They were very hard. But I love the guy. He, he was in your face. He was bold. He was asked to speak one year at uh, the high school in Joplin because he was a very respected man in the community. He was asked to speak uh, at the high school in Joplin, Missouri, same high school where Kyle Eidelman graduated. As he was asked to speak there, it was for a, uh, I can't remember specifically, I think it might have been a bac- uh, baccalaureate service. I don't remember, but there was an, a connotation that he was supposed to talk about spiritual things. So he did. And the school then told him he would no longer be invited to speak for them anymore because it was so overtly Christian, everything he said. It made the paper, there were all kinds of critics. He was given opportunity to respond in the paper and basically told him, look, you ask a professor who is a preacher uh, who's taught preachers how to be preachers to come and speak at a a thing that's supposed to be spiritual in nature and you expect I'm not going to talk about my faith? I thought it was brilliant. He slapped them around and it actually made uh, bigger than local news when he did that. I'm honored that I got to study under him. Why am I even bringing him up now because he passed away this week? I'm bringing bringing him up this week in uh, 2017. I bring him up because he opened my eyes to something I had never even thought of. Now, I actually had some slides I was going to show you, and I chose not to because it it bothers people, and I didn't want to bother people that much this morning. But it bothers people to know that a lot of the so-called Christian experts that we see on television, they, they focus on things they shouldn't be focused on. And, I, and I'm sorry to bust their bubbles, but it, it became clear to me when I was preaching in a small-town church, and I was preaching, we were approaching Matthew uh, 24, and as I began to read Matthew 24, and we're going to go through studying it together, this is just a Bible study. A man in the back of the room that had never been there stood up and told us, I know what this all means. We have to all go to Jerusalem. We've got to plan it now. We've got to get there. This is the end times. We've got to get to Jerusalem because when Jesus comes back, you know, we've got to be in Jerusalem or we won't be saved. I thought, that is so weird. And if you read Matthew 24, you'll understand Matthew 24 is, the part he was talking about is talking about the destruction of the temple. It's not talking about, the end of the world until the end of Matthew 24. But what, what was revealed to me then was that what P.T. Butler had taught me years before, and that is that there's an uh, an overboard fascination with Jews in the church. It, it's a thing that's it's very, very trendy even today. We, we read in the Bible so many things, and we'll get to some of this in a minute, but one of the things that jumped out at me, and Mr. Butler in one of the classes went over, he had some lecture material, and he had specific information of how corrupt Judaism had become in the Babylonian captivity. The things that they had written down that actually became law were actually are criminal. They are absolutely criminal things. You would be shocked. If you read some of these things that it's, that's in Judaism as the law, as they're, what they're supposed to do. And I listened to him intently when this was all happening. I thought, I've never heard this before. And he began to explain things about how, you know, Jesus is it. He's the only way. There is no other way. And... And he used scripture. I'm going to give you some scripture in just a minute. But I want to give you a little caveat up front as we get into some of this. I very much am appalled by the cruel atrocities that have been done throughout history. And I don't in any way discount how Jews have been oppressed. That's bad stuff. And I don't want to be a part of that. I just want to be a part of exposing Scripture for what it is and not trying to make it something else. There's plenty of preachers out there that actually preach that Jews are still going to make it to heaven because they're special and they don't need Jesus because they're Jews. I don't know if you've heard this, but there's very popular preachers that preach this stuff. So I want to show you, this is my little caveat, I will to show you some pictures. First of all, this first image is of this is in Amsterdam. This was, I think it was 2018. And my daughter Brooklyn and I were there. This is from inside Anne Frank's house. If you don't know the story, you should learn the story. And this next image is, there's Hannah right there and me. And we are in also in Amsterdam or just outside. I can't remember. It's This is on the rooftop of Corey ten Boom's place. Here's another picture of the same place. This is on the inside. That's me. And if you've read the book or seen the movie or watched documentaries on the hiding place, that's it. That's the bookshelf that lifted up, that her father had built. It lifted up so that people could crawl into that bottom space. You can kind of see there's a, a hole there. And behind that, um, is where people would hide for days, where they would hide Jews for days so that the Nazis would not kill them. And this is a, a brick wall. You can see it's kind of broken out, so you can see. But that, The father built a brick wall. Most of these other people that were hiding Jews because they saw how wrong it was that Hitler was trying to have all of the Jews obliterated. And so people were hiding them, but most of them got caught before they hid many because they built hollow walls. And they would, uh, people would tap on what appears to be an exterior wall and it would be hollow. And they, so then they would tear into it and find people. Well, her father built a brick wall. They tapped on it and they didn't, they just figured it's an exterior wall. So people hid there. And so some Jews were saved as a direct result of the hiding place. but I wanted to show you this because if it wasn't special to me, I I think it's very special that we remember what's been done to the Jewish people so that it doesn't happen again. And I think that um, it's great that we as a country have a a very strong alliance with Israel. I think we should keep that. I just want to give you up front that because I'm telling you other things. According to USA Today at the end of last year, 51% of evangelicals say Jews are still God's chosen people. Now, the reason why that makes the news is because there's other percentages left, and there, are, there is a percentage in the church that understands what the Bible teaches. So I'll give it to you, and I've got it in red letters right here behind me. Jesus' words in John chapter 14, verse 6 I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do you believe that? You believe Jesus is the only way? Okay, then. So it doesn't matter then if you're a Jew or not. If you want to be saved, you still got to go through Jesus. He is the only way. And to preach something else, like, okay, so we, we're Christians, so we, we've got to have Jesus. But the Jews, they're just okay because they're God's chosen people. So they're still going. They don't need Jesus. They're still going. There are people that believe this. There are people that preach this. It's in books. It's all over the place. And it's simply not true. The truth of the matter is, Jesus is the only way. So let's not buy into that. Let's not buy any of the material that's teaching this. And let's not support it, because when you start blacking out Scripture like this with your lifestyle, you start saying, yeah, the Jews are all still going to go to heaven because they're God's chosen people. For one thing, you're, you're giving people a false hope that there's some other way outside of Jesus. No, there's not. But another thing, you're violating Scripture immensely, and that is a horrible, horrible thing. It's a false doctrine to try to say that there's some other way to heaven other than Jesus. You want something other than heaven? You want a different heaven other than the one described in the Bible? Do your thing. But if you want the heaven of the Bible, which is real, you've got to go through Jesus. It's the only way. Everybody's with me on this, right? Okay. In Romans, we're told, we're talked about being grafted in. I want to give us some sobering information. So I'll read Romans 11:19 and following. Then you'll say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Jewish people are not condemned because they're Jews. They still need Jesus. But we shouldn't be arrogant because they were broken off, meaning that, I hope you understand. Yes, God's chosen people, they were chosen for what? To bring us the Messiah. That's what they were chosen for. This has already happened. That's the difference in Jewish people today um, who are non believers and Jewish people who are believers. The Jewish non believers who only believe the Old Testament are still looking around and waiting for a Messiah to come. He already came. Don't be proud that you have got this understanding. God's permitted you to be in the right place at the right time, and He's permitted you to have a softened heart so that you could feel the love of God and a sharp mind so that you could understand it. We all need Jesus, Jew or whatever. Now I want to take you to the next part of the text. It's actually verse 4 and following. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in their flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, that's very much right in with regulation, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, A Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And I hope you understand that word blameless. It's the same term used when we have a description of what elders and deacons are supposed to be, especially elders, blameless. What does that mean? Above reproach, what does that mean? That that doesn't mean they're sinless. Everybody sins, Romans 3.23. But what that means is, when they sin, they repent. They, they don't justify their sin. They, and so if they repent, you're right, I'm wrong, I shouldn't have done that, I'm sorry, I will do better. How do you, how do you tack anything on somebody like that? You can't. Because they're genuine. <clears throat> we pick up a verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. What? He has all these credentials, all these things he's accomplished, but it's a loss. Why? For the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, And count them as rubbish. Wow. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. But that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. I'd like to peel back something we already studied. I want to take you back to Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and following. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast, but for we for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, what I'd like for you to do is get a comprehensive understanding of this by some little color coding i'm going to do on the screen behind me some people will read this and they'll say oh you see we're saved by faith alone i'm not going to take you and peel all that back but i do want to look at what this passage says because it supports our passage in philippians look at the word grace that is the word if there's any one word that is saving it's grace not faith Faith, you see the faith, it's through faith. We're saved by grace through faith. Don't get that backwards. So it's our faith that grants us access to his grace. So it's by grace you're saved through faith. And it says, and this is not your own doing, it's a gift of God. What's the gift? Not the faith. There are people that teach. No, Your faith is your faith because God gave you that faith. No, the gift, and you'll see it's color-coded the same, And you click that, JC, it'll, oh, this, I'm sorry, he's he's ahead of me. This is not your own doing. What's not your own doing? The grace. Jesus did that. God did that for us. That's not our own doing. We can't do that. He did that for us because we can never be good enough. So the this and the grace, they're connected also to the gift. Those are all connected. The gift is the grace, not the faith. This, that's not your own doing, is the grace, not the faith you would not believe the amount of confusing words that are out there in print that you can pay for that try to tell you no excuse me your faith is what god gave you no it's not it's the grace that god gave you your faith is what you choose to have that's why we keep being told throughout scripture have faith why why do you have to be told to have faith if god just gives it to you you understand it's the grace that god's given you not your faith your faith is yours You own your faith. You develop your own faith. And sure, God gives you circumstances so that you can develop it, and thank God for that. And your faith can do you nothing without his grace. That's the saving part. It's the grace. All right, so look, not the result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Go ahead and click the next one, JC, because I'm forgetting the one I highlighted. There it is, red. Notice, God created, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are created for good works. We're supposed to do good works. And that's connected to our faith, because our faith has to be illustrated. James chapter 2, faith is no good unless you prove it. So faith and good works, that's our part. God doesn't do the good works for us. We have to do that. It doesn't save us. It's part of our faith. Grace is what saves us. And then the next one is we should walk in them. You'll see that highlighted. What's that about? We should walk in them, in the good works. Dan talked about this, walking in the spirit. We're supposed to walk in good works too. Our faith is illustrated by how we live our daily lives. You say you believe. Jesus says, prove it. Can't just say you believe. Even the demons believe. So, that illustrates in Ephesians what Paul's talking about here in Philippians. And it continues, the last two verses. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So all these credentials that Paul has obtained for himself mean nothing. He considers them worthless, Cast them aside because they mean nothing without knowing Jesus. You have to know Jesus. That's the most important thing. Anything else you've accomplished is secondary. The priority is knowing Jesus. That's the emphasis. Now, I want to take you to some passages. We're not not going to have this all stretched out to a long message, but I want to take you to some passages where Jesus spoke. They'll be in a red letter again. I want to take you to Matthew chapter 7. This is something you've read before, but I want to read it to you again. I'm sure it's beneficial. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now don't miss the part about, he says, Not everyone's going to make it into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of the Father. That's important, doing his will. You've got to to live out your faith. You have to demonstrate your faith. But the other part I don't want you to miss in this text is, because you're reading, it's like, what in the world? These people are doing miracles? He's granted them the ability to do miracles. They talk to him. They call him Lord. But he's not everybody's going to make it in fact he's going to say from me say, say to them i never knew you depart from me you workers of lawlessness what in the world what went wrong here well it's pretty clear because he says right in there i never knew you that's how he started it you have to know jesus you can't just do good works you can't just do what looks christian You have to have a personal relationship with him. If you don't have a personal relationship with him, what's the point? Because, see, it's by grace you're saved. You can't make the faith be the only thing. You You have to have the grace. You have to know Jesus, the Savior. You have to have a personal relationship. Paul says that twice in our text today. Know him. We have to know him. I want to get back to Matthew 7 in a minute. In fact, I'm going to read the next, very next verses in just a minute to remind you of something that I've already said. But in Matthew chapter 6, we talked about this recently. Remember Jesus said in verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. So the idea is prioritize Jesus first. Make him number one. That is huge in your own personal therapy because then everything else becomes secondary. The problem is people tend to focus on the wrong things quite often. And that, that's a tool of the devil. As, as God tries to pull us closer and closer to him and we feel good. Maybe it's in a church setting. Maybe it was the Christmas Eve communion. You came in and like God just pulls you closer. Maybe it's in a worship service you just get pulled in. Maybe you're reading your Bible and you just get pulled in and you feel it and it feels good and you're growing. Then the devil's going to try to distract you from getting closer to him. He's going to try to somehow get you off step in your walk with Christ. And he'll try all kinds of sneaky ways, but an easy way is to use our human nature. There was a guy, I believe his name was Dick Alexander, who spoke at the North American Christian Convention a couple of years that I can remember. And as the guy got up to speak, he, the first time at least, he told his story. Because as he was very well microphoned, they had him turned up. As he talked, he had one of the most irritating sounds coming out of his vocal cords than most of us are used to hearing. He had had some sort of a thing later in life. He had some sort of a paralysis that happened. One of his vocal cords was no longer functional, and, and partial was paralyzed, and he's a preacher. And he's speaking to thousands of people. And as he's speaking, it's one of those things where the first few minutes, it's like, ah, oh, it's just hard to get past the sound of his voice. Because you had to work so hard to understand each word he said, But God blessed it because the people of God who want to be close to Jesus, they want to find the good in others, and they don't want to focus on the negative. And as irritating as his voice was to listen to, we had to try so hard to understand every word that we paid attention. And his words, the content was powerful. But I can tell you, my nature was to be irritated. I didn't know how I was going to get through listening. I thought, am I going to have to get up and walk out? Because I don't know if I can handle this. That was my focus, was the negativity, the sound. I didn't like the sound, but the content was so good. I was able to focus on that and get past it. And I think everybody else did that. I don't know if everybody else struggled with his voice like I did, but I struggled. And we tend to dwell on the negative. Jesus tells us, seek first the kingdom, and then he'll help us with everything else. Now, I want to go back to that part in Matthew 7. I said I wanted to read the rest after he talked about, I never knew you. Look at the next part. It emphasizes our actionable faith. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have, oh, this is chapter 10, verse 34. This is good. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I'll get to that other part in chapter 7. I gave you, told you I was coming to it. I'll get to that in a minute. This is talking about prioritizing Christ. Nothing needs to be ahead of Christ. Not your husband, not your wife, not your children, not your parents, not your pets, not whatever... Christ has to be number one. That's vital. And if Christ is not number one, then you are not pleasing the Lord. In fact, he tells us that he will divide homes. Maybe you've experienced that. If you've decided to make Jesus Lord of your life, you make him number one, and your family's not used to that, they could call you a radical They could call you somebody that is a fanatic. What kind of... Are you in a cult or something? That's how people act. Now I'll get to Matthew chapter 7. The other piece. I'm sure you're familiar with the story. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came And the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell and great was the fall of it. We read this and we think, we get it in our heads, so you've got to build your house on the foundation, build your house on the rock that is Jesus. That is not what this is saying. Pay careful attention. Remember, it's saying build your house on the foundation that is doing what Jesus said. Not just Jesus, it's on doing what Jesus said. Look at what this says. The wise man is the one who listens to these words of mine and puts them into practice. It's the fool who hears them and does not put them into practice. If you want to stand when hard times come, you live for Jesus now. Put his words in action. You want to build your house on a solid foundation, then do what Jesus says. Not just say, I believe. This is consistent throughout the New Testament, but we've watered down biblical doctrine and i understand i understand why we've watered it down i mean some of my some people i expect to see in heaven martin luther john calvin they they were dealing with a church that was all about works-based salvation it's not about that it's about a faith that is illustrated with your life because you love jesus because he died for you you know him and you want to say to him with your life jesus i love you that's why i'm living the way i'm living and if you question, if you, want to, if you just really want to get to the meat of it, ask him. Ask him, Jesus, can you tell that I love you? Because he's, he's supposed to be able to tell. Because we know him and we live for him. The idea in today's passage is properly prioritizing. Paul had all these credentials that he could prop himself up, but he says, that's nothing. I have to know Jesus. That's where my hope lies of an eternity with him, is in knowing him and pleasing him. And so here's the acrostic, you've heard it before. Jesus, number one priority. Others, second. And third, ourselves. Joy. It keeps being emphasized to us in our text over and over again. Paul keeps saying the same thing. And here it is, our beginning verse again. Finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for clarifying our role in this world our place and what we're supposed to be doing thank you for the cross thank you for loving us so much and giving us an opportunity to have your grace thank you god help us as we try to live for you in a way that's pleasing to you may our faith be demonstrated well and as a result may more people come to know you in jesus name amen